All right, Daniel chapter one, let's dive in together. Last week, we spent some time talking about what it looked like for the folks, Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to be carried off into captivity. And we talked about that, that Daniel, Hananiah, and Azariah, and Mishael were carried off into captivity, and that in their exile, the nation of Babylon was being blessed by God. And it's this weird thing. You're thinking that, well, why are, we thought that the, the exile was just for the Israelite people, that God was going to move them out of the land of Israel and put them in Babylon so that their hearts and lives might be turned towards God. And the answer to that is yes, absolutely he does. But he also, is, God is a missional God from Genesis to Revelation. And what he is doing is his name will be proclaimed throughout all the nations into all the world. And he transplants these four individuals into Babylon. So in the most powerful empire at that time, God's people are sitting at the helm. Isn't that cool? In a pagan and an idolatrous place, God's people are strategically placed in the palace with the king to proclaim the name of God and put the power and might of God on display. That's, that's so cool. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you might be a little bit worried about where America's at, where the world's at. God is in control. And he is putting people right where they need to be, serving for the right exact time so that his name can be proclaimed and his power and his might be made known. So don't worry this morning, okay? God's in control. But this morning we're gonna transition a little bit and not talk as much about what's going on with Babylon, but more like what's going on with these four individuals and their lives and what it looks like to, have, to live these lives in exile. And to do this, we're going to go back and we're actually going to start at verse 4 this morning. We know that the king had commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to identify youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. Now, we're going to see four things that these captives, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, oh boy, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? These four individuals, what they're going to go through and what it's going to be like for them to live life in exile. The first thing that they're going to go is being told, it says right here that they are to learn the literature and the language of the Babylonian people. And you got to understand, the Babylonians, they, cap, they captured Israel, and they brought these people here, not because they think the Israelite people are so wise and smart. The Babylonians think they're the, the cream of the crop, okay? So they brought these people in to teach them the best of the best, right? The, and these guys are going to get the best education possible. Now, my educators in the room, everybody's sitting here saying, well, that's not too bad of a thing. But you understand, they're going to be taught in the literature and the language of the Babylonian people, which completely ripped them away from the culture of which they've been raised with. So it's to take the culture of what they've known and replace it with the culture of Babylon. The other thing that they're going to do is here in verse 5, we read that the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that the, he drank. And so now they're also going to be given the, this food, the food from the king's table. Now, this is the best of the best, okay? This is like what happens when the girls come back from Linda Kelly's house, okay? Uh, we've just been given this great, how come you can't cook like that? Um, you know, um, and, and so, you know, no, it's the best food of the best food, right? It's what's, what's on the table and what's amazing. And so it's this great food. 
And we're going to see in a minute that there's, there's, Daniel has a little bit of an issue with it, but it's, you're going to learn to eat the very best of the best from the king's table. The other thing that they're going to be given here is a position. If we keep reading in verse 5, and they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So the king would examine them. And if they did well during this examination process, they would literally be in the king's court. Now, this is a double-edged sword. The chief eunuch, and we understand what makes a eunuch a eunuch, right? Do I need to explain that? Okay, good. Uh, you know, no, no, no critical looks. All right. Well, it's very likely we see, we do not see in scriptures at all where Dan, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were married. It's very likely because they were to serve in the king's courts that they too were made eunuchs to serve in the king's presence. Position. They would stand with the king and be a place of influence in this Babylonian empire. The final thing we read here that they were given by the Babylonians was new names. Verse 7, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Why is this significant? When we start doing a word study on the names of the individuals involved here, we realize that this is a transfer from being identified as God's people to being identified as people of Babylon and the gods of Babylon. Daniel, for instance, means God is my judge. But Belteshazzar means Bel or Marduk, which is one of the Babylonian gods, protect the king. Hananiah, which means the Lord is gracious, is renamed Shadrach, which means command of Aku, which is a Sumerian moon god. Azariah means the Lord has helped. Abednego means servant of Nego, which is the son of God, son of the god Bel. And Mishael, which means who is what God is, is renamed Meshach, which means who is what Aku is. given a new culture, to eat new foods, to be given a position, a costly position with the king, to have their names changed. And they're 14 and 15 years old. I want to just talk briefly to our teens here this morning. I didn't have any teens in the last service, but I, I just want to encourage you right now. Don't let your age for a second, stop you from thinking what God can do through you and the power that God has in you with the Holy Spirit. These individuals were called by God to do an extraordinary thing by the power of God. So this is what life in exile begins to look like for these individuals. But we read in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, that Daniel takes issue with one of these four things. Now, it's very interesting why he takes issue with one of these four, because he doesn't take issue with learning about the literature or the language. He has no problem with that. He's going to learn the literature and the language. He's going to get well-versed in Babylonian culture. Now, if, when you begin to think about this from a missionary standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. 
Because when you're going to be a missionary, what do you do? You learn about the language and the literature and the culture of the place that you're going so you can be effective ministers. Makes sense, okay, that he would accept that. The other thing that he, they accept is the names, which is kind of weird to us because, of, wait a minute, they're, they're named after the one true God, and now their names over here involve the, the pagan, idolatrous gods of Babylon. Well, but it is in those names that they can begin to work within the culture and the society they're in. There's no way they're staying in the king's court with Hebrew names. Not going to happen. Position. They accept the position in the king's palace, and they serve faithfully in this position. But Daniel takes up the issue with food. Why food? Great question. So glad you asked. One thing you need to, the commentators here, is, is I want you to be careful that sometimes when you hear people throw out a reason for, for something going on in Scripture, they kind of throw out a quick reason just to get over it and move on. I want us to ponder this for a second, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time here this morning. The first thing that commentators or theologians began to say that the reason Daniel stood against food was it wasn't kosher. Well, what is meant by that? It broke Jewish law to eat that food, so it could have been pork. It could have been other things there that, that Daniel and his friends could not partake in, and to partake in those foods meant that he would have to violate God's law, and they weren't going to do that. But there's a problem with that. Now, I know we have various rooms in here on, on, on wine, okay? But, but Jews like wine, okay? And wine was kosher. So why didn't he choose to partake of the wine? Because in Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, we're going to hear that Daniel was partaking of wine in Babylon. Well, that doesn't seem to fit really the reason why Daniel was making this stand. The second one was that it was dedicated to the gods of Babylon. Now, this is very interesting because when food was brought before the king, it was first taken to the, the gods and it was presented before the gods. And it, it's pretty funny because you wonder how well the kings ate. Well, how much did the gods eat? Nothing, right? And so it was all brought back before the king and the king ate very well. He was a very rotund individual, right? He ate very well because those gods would need it. So since it was food that was brought before, dedicated to idols, then, then they couldn't eat it. But we go back to Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, and you read that Daniel and his friends had been eating of the food and drinking of the wine. What's really going on here? Why is Daniel choosing food to make a countercultural stand on? Well, there's an understanding that to eat at the king's table, to eat the king's food, meant that you covenanted with the king. And the king wasn't just a, a political figure, was he? No, the, the king was more than that. The king viewed himself as a god. And so to covenant with the king is to mean that I'm going to agree that the king is a god and that I'm going to worship the king. And, and by eating of the food and partaking with him and covenanting that way, Daniel said, no way, I'm, I can do that. I can't covenant with you to, for you to be my god. That role is taken. The other thing that we see here is that Daniel intentionally makes a countercultural stand. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to, to allow him not to defile himself. Now, what's interesting about this word resolved is it's got a, the Hebrew understanding of this word comes from the word heart. It is in his heart, he understood that he 
thought about and he questioned and he became passionate about, I need to make this stand for God right here, right now. That I might put the power of God on display. That amongst all these other captives that have been brought in from all around the region, that the Israelites might stand out and demonstrate the power of God in the very king's court. It's very interesting to me as we looked at these four things. And maybe as you're sitting here thinking the best of the education, the best of the food. I mean... The, the great position that they were put in, the names that they were, they were accepted into the society. Why did Daniel have to go rock the boat? What was Daniel's problem? He could have coasted through exile. But what got them in exile in the first place? You see, what got them in exile was they were this kingdom of, 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 and this nation of God. And God had blessed them with land. And God had blessed them with wealth. And God had blessed them with all of these amazing things and land of flowing with milk and honey. The scriptures talk about the promised land. He had blessed them with this amazing land. And what's crazy is the more he blessed them, the more people got lulled to sleep by the things of the world and became less passionate about pursuing God and became in love with the things of the world. In fact, they looked at the other nations that were around them and said, I like that, I like that, I like that. I want that to become part of my life. And all of a sudden, the worship of God was pushed out and these other nations had more of an influence than the one true God in them. They got lulled to sleep by the things of the world. Well, what could happen right now? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel can get lulled to sleep once again. I get this picture in my mind, sorry, of, of a baby in a crib, the old school cribs, right? Where there's, there's like this small little crib and there's little sides that come up and eye hooks. And, and, and grandma or mama is just sitting there singing to the baby, rocking it to sleep. That's what I'm kind of envisioning here as we're in this crib and, and the world just keeps giving us great jobs and giving us wonderful families and giving us these nice houses and nice cars. And we're just getting rocked to sleep. And there's stands that we should be making along the way to put the power of God on display, but we're not because we're going to sleep in this nice, comfortable place. You know, I, I'm enjoying my life. Don't disturb me. And lull to sleep we go. I was reminded of a quote. You may know the quote when I say it. The gentleman's name is Osuruku Yamamoto. Anybody know who that is? You got a few smiles. Irish name. Yeah, that sounds like an Irish name, Pat. A little, little tweaking on that one. Yeah. He was an admiral for the Japanese Imperial Army, Imperial Navy. And he said, I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and to fill him with terrible resolve. Bombing of Pearl Harbor. The United States was asleep at the wheel. People were being massacred on several continents. Genocide. But we were happy. The Dow was up. Manufacturing was up. People were living higher on the hog than they'd ever lived before in our nation's history. 
while people around us were being slaughtered, and we had the means and the ability to stop it. I love that statement. Waken a sleeping giant to a terrible resolve. Daniel wasn't about, nor was his friends, about to get lulled to sleep by the comforts of the Babylonian king's court. He identified a place where he could make a stand for God. And I think there are places in our lives today that we need to be making stands for God. That are running against the culture where the culture says that's not that bad. It's, it's not really that bad for you. It's, it's okay. And, and so what we've done is where we've just kind of gotten lulled to sleep in some areas in our lives instead of making stands for God and putting the power and the might of God on display. One of those areas in which I've been convicted of in my life this week is my multimedia devices. Now, you may be saying here this morning, and we're going to ask some four questions. I got these from, from Docs at Church. They had these uh, DNA that they've allowed us to use, and so these DNA questions. And I thought these four questions were quite helpful. As we run into issues in our lives, kind of how to answer things so that we might begin to understand what is good for us what is, and what is not good for us and what is it's not really good or bad, but that we do need to make a stand on to put the power of God on display. So the four questions are this, and these can be found, see, these can be found on the web underneath the messages page under lscshland.org. You can go there, find them, and print them off. We're trying to reduce our printing costs, and so if you need them printed off, just let Tammy know today, and we'll get them printed off for you and have them ready to pick up. But you can go to the messages page. They'll be right there this afternoon, okay? So that means I'm going to have to go to them and put them on. Don't let me forget. Thank you, darling. <laughs> the first question is this. Does the Bible explicitly forbid this? Is it a black and white issue? Okay? Is it something that we know is wrong? Sexual immorality, um, lying, stealing, cheating, you know, those things that we know, boom, black and white. Okay? Is it one of those issues? Because if it's one of those issues, we can answer it pretty effectively, very quickly. The second question dives a little deeper. Does the Bible promote an idea that is contrary to this? While the Bible doesn't explicitly say this is wrong, it says that, you know, I, just like you shall have no other idols before me, right? That's one of those things. Now, if we have something that's in our life, a car that we love, that we're out there polishing it every day, is the car necessarily evil? No, but the worship of the car is, which is an idea that is contrary to Scripture. Does it make sense? The third thing is, is this an area where I can take a countercultural stand? And, and this thing that's kind of been convicting me is my multimedia devices. Now, I've got my computer set up that I'm working on it, and I get those little slide things that come across on the side. And they tell me when I got a new, new email. They tell me when I got a new text message. Um, I think I finally figured out how to turn off the Facebook one, because I <laughs> stay over there. You know, and, and so I get these messages, and what's, it's, I'm sitting there working on my sermon prep, or I'm sitting there working on things that are getting ready for the services and the upcoming move, and all of a sudden, boom, one slides are crossed. 
And then, ooh, it's Market Net Alliance. And maybe you don't know what that is. It's an auction website, right? I, I love, see, Pat knows where I'm at. And, and you're like, oh, there's antiques, there's guns, there's tools. And, like, and I'm like, oh, I just got to check that out. And I click on it, and it, boom, it opens up nice and big for me. And I can sit there and go through it. And all of a sudden, my time that I was supposed to be doing over here, and all the others are going, oh, we need to monitor Scott's time a little bit more effectively. And all of a sudden, boom, 30 to 45 minutes go by. Right? And then my wife comes home and is like, how was your day? I was like, oh, so busy. <laughs> is, it, is that slide bar in and of itself evil? No. Is it, is it something that, that runs contrary to scripture? No, it's just an auction website, right? You can find good deals there. I got garage with tools from that stuff that I use most of the time. And... and that's not, but wait a minute. And the culture says, what does the culture tell me? Culture says you deserve whatever you want. The culture says go out and get that. You deserve it. It's good for you. Have all that you want. Live it up to the fullest. But this is a place where I need to make a countercultural stand so that I can have my full attention brought to where God wants me to be focused and we can get things done for the glory of God. And there's other things in our lives that we run into besides just technology, besides those little pop-up things that interfere with our lives. Hobbies can become some things that are good for us, that can be healthy for us, but can become sometimes very bad for us. The fourth question that we would ask is, is this the kind of thing God would want for me? And as I think about my distractions during the day. I know God does not want me to be pulled away from the study of his word, to be distracted by things that I don't need. Daniel is making a hard stand, a stand in which will be costly, could have been very, very costly. And how do we know this? Let's look here at Daniel chapter 1, verses 9 to 16. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who, who for, excuse me, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. So who commanded, excuse me, that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego eat that food? The king. And what is Daniel asking the eunuch to do? Go against the king. Is that a wise thing to do? You know, people go against Trump all the time and nothing happens, right? This is, this is America. We're a democracy. But think Babylon. That was not a democracy. Nebuchadnezzar didn't get voted into power. He took power. And he will do whatever is necessary to keep his power. And to have some nobody chief eunuch disobey him. Well, the eunuch says, man, you're putting my head at risk. And quite frankly, that's all I've got left. See, I knew there needed to be an explanation of a eunuch. I knew it. All these kids are going to go home, and you're going to have to explain that to them. You're welcome, parents. Then Daniel said to the steward, and the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance 
and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Now, I want you to do me a favor here. How many of you all have heard about the Daniel fast? Ah, yeah, especially this time of year, right? We're all looking for that right diet to get on. I'm looking for one, um, you know, and, and people, and so they, they pulled this up and they said, oh, let's just eat vegetables and water and do the Daniel fast. What was it for three weeks if we do that, right? Now, read the rest of the story. This is what happens when we pull verses out of context. It says, so he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter. Okay. So if you're wanting to do the Daniel fast to lose a few pounds, okay, according to scripture, really, what's going on here? Is God trying to establish a culinary diet plan for us? He is trying to show us, to trying to show the Babylonian people his power and his might and that he is the great God and the one true God. It's got nothing to do with about the diet plan. It's about Daniel saying, I'm going to stand for God right here. I'm going to stand on the issue of food for God, and you're going to see God bless us, and our blessing is going to be your blessing as we obey. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were given to drink, and he gave them vegetables. You know what's really cool about this passage is it reminds me of sometimes when we start making countercultural stands in places that involve other people like jobs, sometimes our hobbies, and we, we make this stand where in which, you know what, God is calling me to, to stand firm on, on an issue. And, and it may not be this issue where it's black and white in Scripture, but you've just got this sense in your heart that I shouldn't make that purchase or I shouldn't hire that person, or I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that thing, or I should hire that person, and, and, and everybody's like either making a stand against it or stand for it, and you find yourself kind of alone, and maybe you're with a couple other people that don't yet know God, and we're scared. We're scared in that moment because we're weighing the risk. This could cost them their job. This could cost them my job. Instead of viewing this as an opportunity to see God's power put on display, we need to change our perspective a little bit. The eunuch risked his life. And guess what the reward of that was? You think that Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were the only ones that benefited from what God did there? Absolutely not. All of a sudden, the chief eunuch, who's responsible for these four? Right? Chief eunuch, yeah. Great job. You see, that's what's awesome is when we are obedient to God, and we make those countercultural stands for God, that it is not only us who gets blessed by God, but it's those that are around us. And the power and the might of God gets to be put on display. And the world gets to know God. The glorious benefit is the proclamation, the power and the might of God. Verse 17, as for these four use, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. You understand? So that three-year time period was up. He was bringing them to examine them. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better 
than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his, all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. What does that last line mean? That last line means that from the time that Daniel was appointed to Nebuchadnezzar to serve on his staff, he remained there till the end of the Babylonian kingdom. Daniel became a figure in the king's palace to be a benefit for God's people and to be a mouthpiece for God in a dark place. Now, before again, you start thinking about, well, 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 these guys were at this time, so 17 or 18 years old. They were stripped from their families, never to see their parents probably ever again. Possibly made eunuchs. So before we start thinking, oh, they had a cush life, are you kidding me? But in their stands, they got to put the power of God on display for all the nations to see in the most powerful kingdom of that time. God is still in the business of taking opportunities for us to make countercultural stands to put his power and might on display. So my question for you this morning is, where have you gotten lulled to sleep? Where have the things of this world just crept into your life and crept into your life and crept into your life and, and you opened your arms up wide up to them and all of a sudden you feel very comfortable and very secure in what this world has to offer and you've forgotten you're in exile. You've forgotten this isn't home. You've forgotten that we live for not this moment for, but for the kingdom to come. And where do we need to get awoken Where, where does those, the bombs of the spiritual bombs from God need to wake us up so that we realize you've been lulled to sleep? You're no longer effective for me because this world has become your home and you've wrapped your arms around it, you've embraced it, and you said, I'm home, and, and you're not living a life that is different, that is countercultural, so that my power and might might get put on display. Where have we been lulled to sleep? And where do we need to start making stands? So that it might be said of us that the sleeping giant was awoken to a terrible resolve. Join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your love, and your grace, and your mercy. You just so lavish upon us. It is such a blessing and a privilege to live for you in exile here. Lord, give us that kingdom perspective again. Let us not get lulled to sleep by the things of this world. Let us make stands for you so that you might put on display your power and love and glory. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.